<laughs> well, there we are. Lights. Grace and peace, everyone. Grace and peace. Steve Brooks, Kurt Borden, welcome to our Bible study on the book of Colossians on this Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, the challenge, right, uh, during Holy Week is uh, to give yourself some space to walk all the way with Jesus to the cross. And it is our hope that as we gather around uh, God's Word tonight, that you will continue that journey and that there will be a shift in your soul. Uh, we don't gather here by chance, but God has a purpose for us. And uh, I hope that your hearts are open for whatever that is for you tonight as we uh, open God's Word together. Psalm 103, it's uh, the 103rd day of the year, and uh, I felt like it was very apropos um, for uh, this time of the week and this time of the year. So let's pray together. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts. Praise you, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. In Jesus' name we pray, amen indeed. All right, we're going to take a stab tonight at finishing chapter 1 and doing all of chapter 2. <laughs> okay, maybe not. We're going to try. The lessons that we can learn in Colossians are amazing for us. This is the early years of the church when they're really trying to understand a lot of things. And what they figure out, I think, answers a lot of questions about what our society is going through right now. Yep. What's right, what's wrong, how we understand the Bible, 
how to, how to really apply God's word to our life. And we always have to keep in mind as we go through this, we got really excited when we were talking about Acts, if you were here for that study. And Paul came along and said, we should bring the Gentiles into the church. And there was an argument back and forth, is it good, is it bad? So we decided, yes, we're going to bring the Gentiles into the church. But it's not that simple. When a Gentile, a Greek or Roman, uh, joins the church, how do they do that? When you're, you're picking up a worldview, an understanding, a truth that comes from another culture, you go through a process in trying to make sense of that in your own life. I think there's one of two tacks that Paul's talking about tonight. On the one hand, if you're, you're importing this religion, importing this understanding, part of you might say, I'm going to do everything that the people before me did. I'm going to sort of abandon my culture, and I'm just going to make their culture mine. And we'll see some people do that in the church of, of Colossae, that they want to be Jews. They want to be just like it was before. They want to be circumcised. They want to eat kosher. And that's not really the answer at all. You're, you're, you're your own people. What you need to do is find the truth, God's word, in your culture. But then there's another extreme that Paul warns us about. We talked about it some last week, as disturbing as it might be. This fusion of Greek culture, in particular where we're dealing with in Colossae, with Christianity. And it, it happens in so many subtle ways and then in some big ways. Some don't matter, some really, really matter. And it can be dangerous. Let me try to show a real quick visual image of this. So the Bible says that God sent messengers to earth to talk to people. Okay? What does that look like? What does a messenger of God look like? Please tell us. Looks like this, right? Yeah, you exactly. The Greek word for messenger is angelos, where we get our word angel. But the problem is, in their culture, an angelos was this, what we know as a cupid. It's a cute little baby with wings, and it hits you with your arrow, and right, and you fall in love. That, that's actually one of the minor things that they do, but they, they bring messages from gods to earth in the pagan view. So when a Greek reads that in the Bible, or here's Paul, if someone to talk about it, they think, oh, well, in my language, this is what they are. Um, of course, you've been through the study, right? This is actually archaeologically what the Israelites thought their angels looked like. So we have them described in Ezekiel, Daniel, other places, very different from how a Greek or Roman would perceive it. But once those things take root in our mind, how much of the American public thinks, um, our next one, angels look like this? They don't. There's no place in Scripture that they're described like that. And even look at the dress of this angel. This is supposedly Michael. What, what kind of dress is he wearing? Can you tell? What kind of clothing? It's Roman. 
Exactly. I mean, the, sort of the fingerprints of its origins are there. So this doesn't really matter. I, this, I get crazy when I go to Mardell sometimes and pick up the little cherub fat baby figures that I want to go to the register and say, this is not an angel. But it, it really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. If God sends a messenger to you, whatever it looks like, it is what it is. But we get into some much bigger issues very quickly when we're taking Greek culture and adding Christianity. There's a right way to mix it, and there's a wrong way to mix it. And Paul is going to really try to push us tonight to find that middle ground. Don't become a copy of the Jews. Don't just be Greek. You've got to be this new thing, and it's a follower of Christ. So it's sort of this middle road, Christ, 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 you've got to stick with. So with that, we want to pick up in verse 24. Go for it. All right. Chapter 1, verse 24. We've talked about this a little bit, but certainly worth repeating. Chapter 1, verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am uh, completing what remains of Christ's suffering for his body, the church. Now, this is a hard sell, right? Woo, I got tortured today. Oh, I get to go to prison. You sound like a maniac uh, when you talk like this. But Paul is making it clear. Uh, we are here because God suffered. And in a sense, if we're true to God, we're going to suffer too. And it's not something we need to be afraid of or run from at all costs. And where does Paul really tie down that he's suffering? It seems to be redundant, but in his body. And this is such a big push. You'll, you'll hear him do this over and over in Colossians, and really a lot of his letters, because he's pushing back against that Greek idea that all physical things are bad, all spiritual things are good. So God doesn't get so excited if we just suffer in our mind. I think I could share the gospel, but I'm not actually going to do it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That, no, you need to open your mouth and you need to say it. You might suffer, but you need to say it. So it's this soul and body that Paul will continue to emphasize. I know you Greeks just like it's spiritual, but it's got to be real world too. So Paul sees this as a, as a completing act. Uh, what God began on the cross and th the suffering, in a sense, you continue that as you allow God's kingdom to come into your own life. If, if you suffer, if you do for the sake of another, you live out the love, that's going to cost you something, but it's, it's bringing Christ's kingdom inside. It's spreading it. Does that make sense? Okay. God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his message in all of its fullness to you Gentiles. So again, he's, he's reiterating, hey, you guys were outsiders to us. You were foreigners. This was not your religion, but this was your God. Uh, God loved you even before you knew him. And Paul takes it as his special uh, calling to do it. One thing I actually discovered today, it snuck up on me. The Gnostics are very excited about the fullness of the expression of God. 
And so again, he's using language that would have set bells off in their head. Oh, the fullness. Now, remember we talked about the, the Gnostics will believe there is a perfect spiritual God. He's wonderful, or it. And the Mo, um, Moad, Monad. And then from that come little gods. So he makes a male and female god. And then another male female god. Another male and female god. And the list goes on. First the Gnostics say there's 13 of them. And later they say there's 30 of them. But one of them was, went bad. And he's the Demiurge. And he's the one that actually made the world. Because no good god could make a physical thing. So the Demiurge is kind of bad. But there's this other messenger from God that came. And he was Jesus. And he's the one that told us secret spiritual wisdom. So if you know this whole story, if you get the fullness, you've got the full picture. Paul is saying, look, the only fullness you guys really need to worry about is there's Jesus. How long has Jesus been around? Did he say? Forever. Is there anything above Jesus? No. Is there anybody after Jesus? No. You just got Jesus, okay? You got the Christ. So he's trying to erase all that crazy in their thoughts and just say, you want fullness? You want gospel? Discover Christ. Suffer with him. Do it in your body. Make it something real. 26. Just, oh, I just want you to note uh, in your Kurt's translation is, it's, uh, is using secret. Yours is probably using mystery. Right? Just notice, I hope, I hope both translations are consistent, but you really need to watch and follow that word throughout uh, the rest of the book um, because the Gnostics were big on this mystery, secret, hidden knowledge. Now, when Paul talks about a mystery or a secret, it's, he's talking about it in a different way. Um, he's talking about, oh, there's this reality that has been present the whole time, but you were not willing to pay attention or you were not, un, uh, you were not able to understand it or to pay attention, but it's really been there all along, and let me show you. Remember what Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Luke uh, when they're all freaked out after he rose from the dead? They're like, ooh, is it really you? Um, he said, did not I have to... Have to uh, fulfill all that was written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's like God had been at work revealing his purpose to redeem humanity. Like from the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, this mysterious secret plan was being revealed. Most Jews missed it. The Gentiles, they were off doing their crazy things, right? And But Paul said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. All along, God has been... That's what Pastor Kurt and I have been trying to do uh, these uh, past few weeks in our sermon series is to say, hey, follow all of these nuggets that God has been dropping all along. And that is the way in which God has been at work all along. Is that helpful? Yeah, very, very. Okay. Just like Steve's saying, secrets! That was the, the coin of the day. Remember these mystery religions that are competing with Christianity? They're coming out of the East. The worship of uh, Mithras, 
um, which is a, is a Persian resurrecting bull god from Persia. Uh, there's Isis cults, and they always have secret handshakes. Not really, but they have secret words and secret rituals. And if they really, you know, you're somebody important, then you, you're raised to the higher mysteries. Oh, they love that stuff. So Paul's kind of, you know, playing into it. It's like, ah, I'll give you the secret. It's, it's like this. What's the secret to losing weight? Eat less, you know. It's it's not. But we buy books, you know. Twenty four steps to your philosophical relationship with food. I mean, what? I mean, it, it's it's not a secret. Um, God has never, in a sense, really hidden uh, the truth from us. Um, but what, one of the things I think it's very cultural. Um, the, the Jews had developed a system, and I think they get it from God. If you ask God or a rabbi a question directly. How are they going to answer you with a question? Because the expectation is, it's not a matter if the teacher, the rabbi, God knows it. The question is, do you know it? And what does it take for you to know it? This is the way Jesus teaches, right? They'll ask him, Father, who will inherit, or, or Rabbi, who will inherit eternal life? And he tells them a parable. So that you have to go through the mental thinking process to come up with the answer, and you say it with your own lips. That's what God wants. And in a sense, that's what Paul's presenting here to you. You want to know the secret? I'll give you the secret. It's Jesus. And it's going to sound kind of repetitive, but this was so important for the early church because there's all these other voices and cultures. And one of the things I can't really explain probably well, but... Christianity would have been seen as low class, would have been seen as something weird. Um, you know, the, the Jews didn't build great, uh, archi- or, uh, like uh, the Parthenon. They didn't build the pyramids. They're not, they're an old people, but they're not a great people. So why would you pick a religion from these poor, crazy weirdos? Um, there was, I think, great pressure to say, hey, Let's take Greek philosophy, which is very respected. Even the Romans that conquered the Greeks respected their philosophy, respected their architecture, respected their religion, sort of. Um, So if we can add Christianity to that, it'll just make it better. And Paul's saying, no, you you can't do that. The, The word can make sense to you in your own language. I mean, it's in Greek at this point. So they're, they're making a huge concession. It's not in Hebrew. It's not in Aramaic, any language that Jesus spoke. But you can't make Christianity what you want it to be. It has to stay rooted in the reality of Jesus. It has to stay rooted in Scripture or we get in trouble. So Paul's going to lay it out our secrets. Uh, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. Traditionally, God's people would be the Jews, but now that's been expanded. It's, it's the Christians. It's the Christians and the Jews together. God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming the entire, again, that fullness message, but sorry. Um, for God wanted them to know the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. That's huge. What does that mean? I mean, I know you know, but imagine you're 
first century, you're sitting down, you got this letter from this Jewish guy, Christ lives in me. What does that really mean? He's what? You're picked, you're chosen, which is a, a huge thing. You're part of the covenant now. The Hebrews have a, a phrase for them that just kept them alive in the exile, kept them alive in the concentration camps. Am Segula, we are the chosen people. Um, and now that's, that's included to us. Uh, we are the anointed with Christ. But what, what does it mean? It's fun to ask kids this question. What, what does it mean that Christ lives in you? Some Apparently, kids, it gives us superpowers. It gives. If you're on Sunday, we, we had a, a superhero board. Uh, one little kid told me, "There's a little bitty Jesus, and he lives in my heart." I'm like, "That's cute, but you're probably going to have heart problems because there's somebody." I mean, we're we're all Christians, and and nobody's going to lose their faith. But what is that? That phrase mean in our language, biblical language, maybe for the Greeks. That he lives, his place of, of existence is inside of us. And especially remember reading it in the context of what we've already read in chapter 1. Right. The weight of that, that he is the icon, that Jesus is the icon, the image of the invisible God in us. His spirit is within us. That's right. It's yes. good. And that's, that, that's really good. Um, if a Greek was normally looking for a spirit, where in the world would they look? A good spirit. This is a trick question. Where would a Greek look for a good spirit? <laughs> to where? A bar? No. A bar. Yeah, yeah. There's really, that's the Irish. That's a whole nother culture um, <laughs> where they discover the spirits. Yeah. So a Greek wouldn't find a spirit in this world, right? Because they're, the world is messed up. If it is a spirit here, it's, it's, it's bad. But maybe they would say a temple, statue, if they're old religion. Um, where would a Jew say the spirit of God lives? In the temple? That's right. Yeah. So th- this is a huge, huge leap, uh, a conceptual idea that God is not in some place resisted or restricted for you he's not in some place controlled by priests he's here but i think the weight of this sometimes gets lost what paul is saying so the goodness the power uh, that which is going to change the world where is it it's in us Mm -hmm. it's not waiting in heaven it's going to come down and change things the power of God is here and what we choose to do. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the image of Christ within us. We are the body of Christ. And it, it has to propel us, like he's saying, I'm a servant to spreading the gospel. I'm going to give you the fullness. I'm doing this because Christ is in me. And the only way it's going to get into the world is if I do it. It's a, it's a very powerful thing. It's not just a... He floats in us, and he's happy to live here until we die. It's, it's putting the source of change in our world in us. And that changes society, Western society. 
I, I really think this is what transforms elite Greek democracy into what we have today. Because this wasn't just for the aristocracy. This wasn't for the Roman patricians. This was, was for a slave, for women, for Jews, for, for everybody. Um, it, it is a huge, huge thing. Paul will go so far, and you guys know this, to say we are the what for God? I'm jumping ahead, but uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, temple of God. That's in plural in Greek, and that's important to mention. Yes. It's not each one of us is a temple. It's collectively all of us. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's huge. And they would have uh, blinked a couple times, I think, at that. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. So the path, the plan of salvation that God is laying out for us is ours too. Because as we choose to do his will, we make it manifest. We're going to be part of the miracle of, of life transforming. And Paul had seen it. We've seen it in scripture. We've seen it throughout history. No faith, no religion has changed our world as much as what Paul's talking about. Yeah. So maybe uh, for those of y'all who are especially find yourself in the traditional services on, on Sunday morning, this should sound a little familiar to you. We end our worship service every Sunday with this. Remember, the secret is simply this. That that is where that that part of the mantra comes from, is from this uh, verse in Colossians uh, chapter 1. That whatever harebrained thing Kurt and I I have encouraged encouraged you to do uh, that week to actually be the presence of God in the world. See, it, there's two parts of this reality of God's presence. Is It is us responding to it, recognizing and responding to it in our own life, and then allowing that presence to push you out into the world to extend God's presence and power and blessing to every person that God will place in your path. You know, we've been on this river theme um, and we've been talking about that Jesus is this uh, this living this past week this living water. Well, he says something else about this uh, in John chapter seven. Uh, he says, "Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink." That's the first half of this. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So it's that same water that changes us, that will then go out and change the world. The secret is simply this. So it is to give you assurance, but it is also to motivate you and challenge you to be that healing presence. Healing presence, confronting presence, gracious presence, his presence in the world. That's the secret. And so the greatest treasure our church has is you all. That's right. What makes the church holy is not this room, this building, our assets, whatever. It's the people that carry Christ within them. That's what matters most to us. So who knows? There may come a day when all this could be taken, and it will not be a good day, but in a sense it won't matter. 
Because what they taught us when we were kids, remember, this is the steeple and this is, the, what is that? This is the church. This is the this church. Is the, over the door. I didn't pay attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> Great wisdom in that. I think Paul would approve. So let's move on to chapter 2. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. So Paul always has to tell us how much he has suffered. But it, I know, I know, always pick on the guy. But, oh, I have suffered. It's like, like my mother. Anyway, um, but he has agonized, and he really has suffered. I shouldn't pick on the guy. But Paul is mentioning Laodicea, which is a neighboring town and not necessarily a popular town when it comes to uh, Colossae. They have been economically replaced by Latiosia, sort of the interstate went by Latiosia. And so they have all the business, and we're sort of in the backwater. But Paul is still worried about both of these communities. And again, it's, it's a minor thing, but Christianity is spreading everywhere. The ancient world had seen nothing like this. Ancient world changed very, very slowly. People did what their parents did. But Christianity is, is changing fundamentally the, the way people relate to each other, the way they see society, and it's, it's reaching every nook and cranny. I mean, this is not Athens and Rome. Uh, this is Laodicea and, and Colossae. Even people back then would have said, where? Where? Colossae? I never heard of that place. It's a little backwater, but... Um, the gospel is getting there, and so it carries that most precious of treasure. It carries the spirit of Christ within the believers. And remember, our Bible may change one of these days. Wouldn't it be really cool if we got more text? be awesome. Because there, that, uh, uh, we know for sure that Paul wrote at the same time, he wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. And he says l- later in the book, hey, the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans have them read it there, and you send this letter to them. So it's like he sees them as a, as a joint mission field, you might say. Right. But if the letter of the Laodiceans ever shows up, it will go in our Bibles. Pray for it to happen. Yeah, we have to be highly careful of those things, though, because the Gnostics that we're talking about, they had a, a, a practice of making up stuff. Um, they, they never made up the, the gospel or, or the letter to Laodicea, but a lot of times they would forge books. Uh, and we know they're forged for a lot of technical reasons. Uh, they're written in Greek that didn't exist in the first century, so it's kind of a clue. You know, they're talking about, I was on my iPhone talking to Jesus. You know, it, it's a dead ringer that, yeah, this was not written at the time of Jesus. But what they said is, this is a great spiritual truth. And it doesn't matter what its physical form is written in. We're just conveying a deep, deeper truth. That's why they write the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas. It's a bunch of crap. Um, so if we ever find one, we'll have to read it carefully and you know, do some serious uh, textual analysis to make sure, is this, is this the real deal? But I think we have the tools today to, to figure yep. that out. Anyway, so he is agonized over both these communities. Um, and for many other friends who have never known me personally. So these are not direct disciples of Paul. He did not go there and start it. It's one of his disciples started it. Uh, but he still wants them to be part of the body of Christ. And in chapter 2, 
which we're starting, he's really going to f- focus in on that. That if you connect to Christ, you become part of this body. And even though we might not know each other directly or have history, we're still part of something much, much larger. And again, this is such foundational thinking that its importance sometimes escapes us. When we say the Apostles' Creed, one of the things we always say, and it confuses people, I mean, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And everybody that's not familiar says, wait a minute, are we Catholic? I thought we were Methodists. So what he's talking about here is the universal church, which is what Catholic originally meant, that there is a church where people bear the image of Christ all over the world. They could be in Alexandria in Egypt. They could be in Rome. They could be in Spain. They could be in Turkey. They, could, they may not know each other at all, but we're connected by having the Spirit of God within us. So long before there was denominations or popes or all that stuff, Paul was trying to say, we're, we're part of the church. As long as you hold to Scripture, you hold to Christ, we're family. And he'll say, um, and that he wants us to be knitted together by the strong ties of love. That's huge. Huge. As much as the Romans tried to create, you know, Pax Romana, the great peace of the Roman Empire, all of you equally are slaves to Rome. Don't you feel good? Um, but do you think an Egyptian living under the Romans felt any kind of bond whatsoever with a Syrian living under the Romans? No. I hate the Romans, and I hate you too. Get out of my country. There was no world connection. I mean, Britons hated uh, the Gauls. The Gauls hated everybody. hates everybody. But Christianity is changing that. So that if a Christian from Rome, and we see this happen, is in trouble and needs a place to stay, a Greek in, let's say, Corinth um, will take them in, even though they don't know them, even though they have no family connection, no business connection whatsoever. Folks, please understand, this was completely revolutionary. If they weren't your nationality or your family, ancient world, you had no connection to them no responsibility. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We live in a kingdom of Christ. So our brotherhood is real. If a Christian brother or sister of a different nationality needs help, you help them. I mean, this really gets stretched, right? Uh, Remember when Philip witnesses to uh, who in the desert? (laughs) About the strangest thing a, a Jew can imagine, an Ethiopian eunuch. A, a what? I mean, Ethiopians were, they were part of the ancient world, but they were seen as very exotic and very, you know, Timbuktu kind of thing. And a eunuch, holy moly, um, that's not something you see walking down the street every day. It is in our world today. Huh? Things have changed. But uh, back then it, it was different. But even then, they're, they're saying there's this bond between Ethiopian eunuch and a Jew or a Greek. Or a Roman. These bonds of love. It's what he really, really wants for them. Uh, continue on. I want them to have the full confidence but they have, because they have complete understanding. So again, the Gnostics are, ooh, fullness, fullness of God's secret plan. <gasps> here it is, here it is, which is Christ himself. And I don't want to say it was a letdown, but this centrality... If you want to understand God, Christ. 
If you want to understand how we relate to each other despite our differences, Christ. If you want to understand how God is going to work in our world, Christ. It's, it, it is the power. So just note what's going on here, lest you missed it, miss it. That there is something that Paul is saying is completely necessary for us to grow in our understanding of who God is. And that is a willingness to be completely devoted to each other, regardless of our differences. Wow. John Wesley says it like this. I know no holiness besides social holiness. And he's not talking, in that context, he's not talking about going, going down and doing good works. The social part of his whole is with each other. And, and, and just ponder that for a minute. Who, who in your life right now that is walking with Jesus would have a very different background from you that you can learn from? I have found that um, it was it was it was very. It, whenever I lived in Abilene, Abilene is a uh, a center for Congolese refugees, and um, invariably I would make friends with some of these refugees from the Congo, from Congo, and it was so easy to make this connection with them because of their relationship with Jesus. But do you know how hard it was for us to go over to their house and eat their food? Like my kids, like, do we have to go? Because they're going to give them, they're going to give us these little fish that they were able to buy at a uh, market in Abilene that only came from this one lake in the Congo. And they were nasty. (laughs) But it was like, to them, it was their way of saying, I love you and I'm so glad that you're here. Right, when we would eat fried chicken together, uh, Emmanuel was his name, and he would eat the whole bone. <laughs> and we say, "Oh my goodness!" But is there something that we can learn from a follower of Jesus that eats the whole bone? Say that again. No, no rice. It's 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 uh, their 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 carb that they eat from 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 Congo is called this stuff called sudsa. It actually looks like suds. Uh, it's kind of, it's this corn-based, puffy thing. Probably. It's good. It's good. But trusting where they are in their life with Jesus and just being open and available, that is what, that is what moves, moves us in our souls to understanding more of the nature and character of God. Right? Do you think the food that the Greeks ate disgusted Paul? <laughs> yes. He probably ended up eating a lot of things, like little fishy that he thought, oh, God, forgive me. But, but yeah, just, just think about that. Yeah. He, w- he, he was formed his whole life. You stay as far away from pork as possible. And I'm sure that there was a time that he had to make the decision, you know, today I'm going to eat this. It's going to be really hard for him. So, it's so crazy. Um, it's how much culture changes things, right? So for Christmas, every year, my family still does it. Uh, for Christmas, where we celebrated the birth of Jesus, we eat schnitzel. <laughs> we eat pork. 
because there's nothing like celebrating a Jewish Messiah like pork, right? Um, for Easter, Steve is doing an amazing job. We're going to have the best food at our egg uh, extravaganza of any church. I think in Texas we'll have the best food. And what are we making? Pork butt. <laughs> so, yeah, Jesus knows our heart, knows that we love him. We give the best that we can. But uh, just, just work in there. But so, just, just don't, don't let Kurt's comment a while ago m- miss. These people being in the same room with each other, that was huge. Just being in the same room with each other, huge. Them actually learning to sacrificially love each other, wow. But that is what the character of Jesus does. Yeah. And when we look at Corinth, we have a a snapshot of Corinth. It's a little more detailed than we have here in this letter. But, and I said this before, it really is a complete strata of society. You have the super, super wealthy Romans that are in control, that have nothing to do with other people, and yet they're in the church. You have the Greeks under them that are politicians. I mean, there's a Greek elected politician. Uh, He's in the church. Uh, You have the business class. You have Jews who never associate with these other people in the church. And it works its all the way down to single women and slaves. And they're all together. You know, it's not a movement of poor. It's not a movement of rich. It's a movement of everybody. And the world had not seen anything like that. So the secret, you know it, is who? Christ. All right. Let's, let's try to do a little bit more. Verse 4. I'm telling you this, so we know the secret, we know our desire for wisdom and love, so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments who does that sound like? Yeah. What would face, Facebook look like in the first century of Colossae, oh Kurt? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> that would be actually a fun exercise. I may do that someday. Just put out random Facebook posts from the first century. What news? Um, you know, Caesar Augustus beats his wife. You know, it's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, but... Especially these Greek philosophers, if you're involved in the school of Aristotle or Socrates, oh, you're such you know, refined, civilized person. Uh, um, the, the wisdom that you need is from Christ. The wisdom that you need is from Scripture. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I'm very happy because you are living Again, this being, don't just think about it, you are living as you should, and because you are, because of your strong faith in Christ. So you have faith, and it affects your action. All of this through the lens of Christ. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. So you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. And really, if there's a, there's a theme for what we try to do in our Bible studies, this would be a good one. We want you to have deep roots. There's a lot that you can do to get by. You can get the gist of it you know, the, the Reader's Digest version of the Bible, or you can put down deep roots. 
Sometimes roots have to break hard soil. Sometimes roots got to move through rocks. Sometimes roots got to dig deeper for the water. But it all anchors you, gets you into solid place where you're drawing your nourishment from Christ. And when that becomes reality, it doesn't matter what happens. If there's storms or people trying to pull you up, you know, I should tell the story about it well publicly. I share an alley with a neighbor that has the finest garden of weeds known to Midland. So I spend uh, more time than I really want to picking weeds out of my neighbor's yard. And it's amazing to me because all these weeds have is the dirt, the sand that's blown in on top of the, the street. So they have maybe a foot. I, I, I try to shovel it out, but maybe a foot of sand. Um, but these roots get rooted in there. I can't get them out. I mean, I use the little screwdrivers and uh, round up and... and and do what? Oh, yeah. I was going to soak him in gas, but Lisa said I'd probably end up in jail. Um, can, can we edit that out? Uh, but that's what Paul really wants. Um, in places where you don't think anything can grow, a, a place where it's not beside a great stream and with all these trees, but you know, in an alleyway. Uh, if you get your roots deep, if you connect with Scripture, one of the biggest mistakes I have seen in my life of ministry is too often when we study Scripture, they teach you what you should believe or what you should think. I think it's much better to help you have the tools so that you can understand Scripture and you, in a sense, can feed yourself you, you have a real sense of how the Bible speaks, and you don't have to fill it in with your imagination. But you have the roots so that you can go back to Ezekiel, you can go back to Acts, you can go back to Matthew. We can go to different places and understand, all right, this is really, this is really Christ. This is really God's Word. So, like, let's say the last uh, six years uh, in, our, in our North American context... Um, one might can make the argument that one of the primary ways that Satan uh, uses to keep us apart is through anger. Would y'all would y'all agree with that? And so I want to encourage you to 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 uh, ponder a couple of words in verse four. Fine sounding argument. Maybe whenever you hear a fine sounding argument. And you begin to have this physical reaction in your body, pay attention to it. Like when somebody says something or I read something um, that really makes me angry, I can feel the heat start in my calves and start working its way up my body. And so, uh, what the evil one wants us to do is to let that keep going. And to let it stoke and get worse and worse. But what we have to do is to pay enough attention to it to say, okay, I probably need to take a deep breath here. And I need to go back and start again with the secret. And what is the secret? Right. And who does Christ give us the perfect image of? The Father himself. Right, 
And that's what he says. I, I, am, I am present with you in spirit. I delight to see how disciplined you are. That's my Kurt's translation is a little bit different. How di- the, the disciplined person, brothers and sisters, is able to do the right thing at the right time when the situation calls for it. And so instead of allowing anger to get the best of me, you turn anger on, the disciplined person turns anger on its head and and allows, and then all of a sudden gives God space to give you wisdom on how to react in a way, we're not milk toast, don't get me wrong, but act in a way that can help draw other people to God instead of push them further away. Something to consider. So let's tackle verse 8. Paul digging a little deeper in his argument here. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. So again, he's full-on kicking the, some of the more philosophical Gnostic stuff in the teeth. He's telling people, don't, don't, don't be swayed by that. You've got your deep roots in Christ. Let that ground you. Let that keep you from being swayed. And the connection he makes here is interesting. Um, So all these empty thoughts that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. And if you think about it, evil needs unrooted people. Evil needs uneducated people. Evil needs easily manipulated kids. Uh, I'm ashamed to say our our culture kind of uh, produces this now. Um, Not that I was the brightest light in the harbor and did a lot of stupid things in college for sure, but there's too many college kids that come out with um, empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. I mean, what was your degree in? High-sounding nonsense? Oh, well, that's great. Congratulations. You're unemployable. But you know, on a much deeper level, I think God's plan really for societies, for governments to work, is that once we are rooted in Christ, we're not going to be swayed by leaders. The fads aren't going to take over as much as they did. You know, I think of how hard the 1930s were for the entire world. But one thing the United States did was really root itself back into Christianity. You had some of the revivals coming again. Where in Europe, Christianity was, eh, poo-pooed. And so a lot of the radical philosophies like fascism or communism were able to sweep through and come in. They tried in the United States as well, both Nazism, communism, but they, they couldn't sort of pull out the American weed, right? You know, this is where I'm standing. And still today, there's so much pressure for America to be like the rest of the world, to be like Europe, to be... No, we need to be rooted in Christ. Uh, Paul was saying this from the very first day of the church, in a sense. Just let's, let's get into Scripture. Let's be who we are and not be afraid of that, not be swayed uh, by just nonsense. Uh, that's going to come, even though it looks sophisticated and new and modern and wonderful. Um, our answer is what it's always been. It's Christ. 
Verse 9, for Christ in the fullness, again, he's hitting this, this theme. You want to know the whole secret? You want to know the whole spiritual path? It's Christ. God lives in a human body. That would have been so countercultural for them. But you want to know God. You really, really want to know him, what his purpose is. He wasn't a mean guy in the Old Testament. He's not a hateful God that decided to become a good God. He's a God that's always wanted the best for us. He's a God that's always sought to teach us choices. He's not a God that's a genie. He's not a God that's going to baby you. He's not a God that's going to do it all for you. And all you have to do is roll on your back for him to scratch you. That, that's never how it's been. He's always been the God that's willing to die for you so that you can learn to make choices. In this case, to be rooted uh, in the identity of Christ. Looks like we're out of time. Are there any questions? You know, I always make this comment about the Romans. Um, did Christianity ultimately take with the Romans? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is the Pope Catholic? Yeah. Um, but it also did with the Greeks. In fact, probably more so today than the Romans. Uh, the Greeks are devout Christians, and their history um, got really, really rough. Uh, they were conquered um, by the Turks, and they lived under Muslim oppression for, for many, many centuries. And yet, despite all of that, they do not convert to Islam. And they do not give up their Christianity. Uh, still today, it's vibrant in Greece. Uh, Greek Orthodox Church is, is, is really strong. So uh, this worked. It, we got a bumpy start with Gnosticism, but it worked. All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you tonight. As we think of the great thing that you seek to develop in our midst, you seek to give us a little taste of heaven, of what it can be when we all focus not on ourselves or what's wrong with the person next to us, but we focus on you. Father, my heart laughs when I think of some of the things that other people eat that seem gross to me. But then I think of you, Father, that you ate with us. And if anybody had a laugh, it probably was you, because you'd never eaten before until you came to eat with us. Father, may we truly take this as a great example, that you have made what is important to us important to you. Now, may we learn to do the same thing. May we learn that love, service, being willing to suffer, to put skin in the game, to not just hope for the right thing, but see that it happens. These are precious to you. And you seek to inculcate them in us. Help us tonight to truly be what Paul talked about. People that have a heart, but also have busy hands. People that love you, so we love people next to us. Help us this weekend as we celebrate, really to praise you. To understand the choice that you've given us again to understand the citizenship we have above all things is in your world, is in your kingdom. 
Help us to live as we prepare for eternity. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Don't, don't forget about tomorrow night, uh, 7 o'clock, over in the sanctuary. We will have our Monday, Thursday slash Tenebrae service. If you've never been to one of those here, uh, I know it will be meaningful for, for you. And if you have been, uh, it will continue to be a blessing. And then uh, all of our activities uh, coming up over the weekend, bring your kids and your grandkids out to Pioneer Park at 11 o'clock on a Saturday for Easter Egg Hunt and pulled pork sandwiches and hot dogs, all the pork, right? All pork. <laughs> and uh, then Sunday morning, there will be more animals up here at this church than you'll know how to, how to shake a stick at, thanks to Pastor Kirk. And... Uh, Hopefully, you know, one of the things is y'all, y'all can, if y'all need to go ahead and go, one of the things that we realize is that uh, about 40% of the people that will be here Sunday are people that Pastor Kurt and I know. The other 60% will be people we do not know. So y'all be on your best behavior and be sure to help show them the love of Christ. Amen. That's a good word. <laughs> Let them steal your pew. That's right. <laughs>